coming out sassy. I love these movies. I loved all of them. Complaints already. Nothing I love but negativity from Jared. I love them. The Scotch on the Rocks. Please, any Scotch will do. As long as it's not a blend, of course. Uh, a single malt. Glenlivet, Glenfiddich, perhaps. Maybe a Glengow. Any Glen. I'm thirsty. I want a beer. What about you? You want a beer? Just a drink. A martini. Shake and not <clears throat> Um. Alright, so... First on this lovely day, we're going to talk about two horror films. The Amityville <laughs> Horror <laughs> and David Duchovny's House of D. Which, um, you know what? I... Can I have a certain feeling the way this one's going to go uh, based on my experience? And I can only imagine when you have Jared the Nasty Hellcat that that is like mm-hmm. multiplied by 10, what my experience was, uh, knowing <clears throat> that I made him watch <laughs> these films. So before you get into it, Jared, uh, could you just go ahead and give us a quick Rotten Tomato score on both these movies? Because I'm wondering if we set a record with this one. <laughs> All right, House of D had a 10% on Rotten Tomatoes, a budget of $6 million and a gross of 371000 And Amityville Horror had a 24% with a budget of $19 million and a gross of $65.2 million. So I'm assuming that our listeners can understand that one of these, maybe not the remake itself of the Amityville Horror, but they're at least going to recognize that name. Uh, that is her mainstream choice, and then House of D, clearly by the uh, the box office take. Uh, both these films coming out on April 15, 2005. House of D is the one they've probably not heard of, um, but stars Robin Williams, one of his best roles. Unintentionally hilarious. Well, maybe intentionally hilarious, depending on which way you look at it. Either way. Josh, give us a, uh, <clears throat> you know, for, for people who don't know, give us a brief <laughs> summary of House of D as far as what what they would be entering into if they choose to ignorantly follow our lead. Yes, Josh. Enlighten us. Mm, let's see. Where to begin? <laughs> uh, well, so you're, you're, if you sit down and watch the movie House of D, what you're going to be treating yourself to is a, uh, a David Duchovny flashback to a younger self, which I'll say right now, even the bookends of him telling the story is a flashback. Like the initial setup was a very, I don't care type setup. Like his, he lives in France. He has a French wife and French son. And apparently he's going to share this big secret with them as his gift to his son as a birthday present. It's very dramatic his, as credits very, roll. And, and you're thinking, okay, well, it must be something. Yeah. You're thinking, well, this is going to be like a, an epic, uh, <laughs> reveal to, to, to the family stole something then, murdered someone mm-hmm, something of yeah that extent. and it's kind of like in a uh, a building complex courtyard so he there's several neighbors opening their windows to chime in and, and listen to this story and uh so he begins to tell his story which is then in flashback form and uh his the the younger version of himself played by uh a very young anton yelchin uh 
So uh, it's kind of his coming of age story, so to speak, but it takes place in the States and um, his best buddy, uh, <laughs> Robin Williams, Papas. Papas, Papas, uh, who is challenged. Um, according to Wikipedia, easy, easy. According to Wikipedia, if we're just going by this, I guess what would be deemed appropriate, uh, a mentally challenged chanter is the quick summary of this character. Yes. My best friend's name was Pappas. He was what you used to call retarded. We had a delivery boy job together, and if you wanted some wet toilet paper delivered to the back of your head, we were your guys. If I want to exercise my God-given freedoms to experience people getting cut up by chainsaws and hung on meat hooks, I think I have the constitutional right to do so, don't you? We're going to go to jail, Tommy. Pappas, hmm? we're not going to go to jail. Nope. They don't throw retards in jail. Just stay cool and give me the dad face, okay? Everything will be okay. Two for the Texas Chainsaw Massacre, please. Now, they do play him, play him up for laughs, and I, and I don't think it was intended to be laughs at him. I mean, the, the character is very childlike, so his humor is childlike. You know, he says naughty things and acts troublesome and and very buddy buddy with the uh the tommy character which is played by anton um but you can't help but giggle because it comes off as really uh they're kind of reveling in it i guess maybe the way to put it and a little condescending to the character possibly yeah and I, i i don't think it's intentional but that's definitely the effect and uh let me ask you a question I guess to both of you. Yeah. Now this, as I said, this came out in 2005 in limited release. Uh, I believe it got a, a, a very negative reaction at the 2004 Tribeca <laughs> Film Festival, uh, which I guess uh, goes for most of Mr. Duchovny's work outside of the X Files. Um, he uh, he's not. I, I think he wrote he wrote a couple novels that I remember didn't get a lot of critical praise, uh, and then this film here. Um, but what I was thinking was. I wonder if that was one of the chief criticisms at the time, or if we're just looking at it, you know, watching it in 2018, because I was thinking, uh, there's no way, there's no way they get, this gets off the ground 2018, this premise (laughs) with this character and this young man's story. I I don't think the problem then would have necessarily been that they felt like it was insensitive. And and again, even watching it today, I don't think you watch it and you think this is a malicious movie by any means. But I, I think the problem that they had with it then, and it's really the problem I had watching it, is that it's just overly sappy. It, it's almost so played quaint, as a sin. It hurts. It, it, it yeah. almost has – it is like the ultimate coming-of-age movie as far as every yeah. every little bit. You've got, a, you've got a single mom. You've got some drug issues. You've got a first crush. you got stickball. Like, they're hitting everything. And then you have Robin Williams collecting – paper planes basically or <laughs> trash and like smiling to the heavens <laughs> let me ask uh, you, know you guys what? <laughs> well, was he doing something weird with his lips like it was almost like somebody had uh, unfolded a paper clip and put some, it in, inside weird, of his uh, lip or something he had some some weird sort of fake teeth to set him apart from yeah i okay. guess movie that, star robin williams looking yeah I never thought okay. I'd say Robin Williams looks too glamorous for a role at Harry Beast, but here it's like they clearly tried to like make him. He's not playing the same character who's in like Mrs. Doubtfire or Flubber or something. This is this is him playing a character. It's not a Robin Williams movie. 
So you mentioned being insensitive. I felt like that was the perfect transition to our co-host, <laughs> Jared, because you've grumbled uh, a bit in our group text uh, leading up to this. And I'm wondering if it's going to be another Red Turtle, Clouds of Sils Maria type moment where you're like, House of D touched me. Touched me in ways that film is not in a long time. No, this will probably go more along the lines of what you think my response will be in that it was uh, – yeah, to echo what Josh said, a piece of uh, sensitive cornball nonsense in my opinion. Like it, nobody – I mean it is a coming-of-age story, but I, I mean it's so ridiculous and out of left field that like, okay, his best friend is a 40-year-old handicapped <clears throat> janitor. His mom's on pills. He's taken advice from a woman in a detention center, and which is the uh, the reason for the title of the film. Yeah, House of D, House of Detention. Hey, I hear it's crazy in there. My mom says you got rats, roaches, lesbianism. <laughs> well, I guess I'm safe from the last one. I'm in solitary. Uh, why are you burying money for anyway? What are you, 9, 18, what? 13, almost. 13, almost. Girls. How'd you know? I'm a genius. That's why I'm up here. Now tell me. Tell you what? About the girl. No way. I don't even know you. Well, I ain't going anywhere. Who am I going to tell? My pillar? Come on, you're dying to tell somebody. Might as well be me. You got a crush on some girl. I don't. Just tell me. Her name's Melissa, and oh man, she's so fine. But I told some guys that she was flat. Flat? How you doing? Yeah, you know. Oh, you were showing off. It's all right, everybody shows off sometimes. Yeah, exactly, but I didn't mean it to be mean or anything like that. And she heard about it, and like all of her girlfriends came to my school and started kicking at me and screaming and saying I had small balls. <laughs> it's not funny. No, it's not. Hey, it's my uncle we're talking about. Small bald men, you know, short, no hair. I mean, personally, I like small balls. You do? Yeah. The other ones just getting away, banging around in areas they have no business in. So even if you do have small balls, good for I you. Good for me. Yeah. The uh, sage in the tower that he's taking all this advice from. Like, man, it, just pick one. Pick one and go with it. Pick one and, like, that's enough of a, a sympathetic type of story to go with. But you're just you're, – you're banging all around the pinball table on this one. I think they could have saved it with all those little details if I believed – the uh, adult version of the Tommy character played by David Duchovny retelling the story was more like Albert Finney from Big Fish. If I felt like he was laying it on thick and ma making like his life story something mythic. Yeah. But I yeah. felt like the way he plays it, as Josh saying in the bookends, is that this is supposed to be some sort of gritty look at like, you know, a real teenager, teenage boy's life in New York City in the 70s. And it plays way too heightened it's for this. Just silly. I mean, I don't know a better way to put it. Just like it's. Um, not taken nearly serious enough for uh, what he's uh, involved in. Need a Jeff Bridges character from The Fisher King. <laughs> you need the guy yeah. that is like, "You're crazy. What are you talking about? This is not. This is not real." Because that's also something that is ridiculous. But a Terry Gilliam movie, they embrace it like this Knight's Quest to find the Holy Grail in New York City in the nineties. 
Well, and kind of go with what both of you were speaking on. What what is really kind of difficult is that I like most of these characters. Um, the Taya Leone character, her, the mother character, she's very likable. Uh, the Frank Langella character, you know, even at the school, I, I felt like he was likable. I was like, is he going to be, be built up to be some sort of villain? No, he's just kind of a chill, you know, teacher at this, uh, I guess it was a Catholic school. Uh, so most of the characters, and I mean, I, I really like Anton Yelchin's performance. I'm not saying that, like, the, the roles were written you know, overly, <laughs> it, it, it wasn't written that well, but, you know, I, I think the performances here, with the exception of maybe Robin Williams um, doing yourself. something that Robert Downey Jr. warned <laughs> people to not do in, a, in Tropic Thunder. Well, there's uh, the clip. I'll just go ahead and put it in there, <laughs> let people know what you're referencing. Yeah, exactly. You know, there were times when I was doing Jack that I actually felt retarded, like really retarded. I mean, it brushed my teeth retarded. I rode bus retarded. Damn. In a weird way, I had to sort of just free myself up to believe that it was okay to be stupid or dumb. To be a moron. Yeah. To be moronical. Exactly. To be a moron. An imbecile. Yeah. Like the dumbest motherfucker that ever lived. When I was playing the character. When you was a character. Yeah, yeah. I mean, as Jack. Definitely. Yeah. Jack. Stupid-ass Jack. Trying to come back from that. In a weird way, it was almost like I had to sort of fool my mind into believing that it wasn't retarded. And by the end of the whole thing, I was like, wait a minute, you know? I flushed so much out, how am I going to jumpstart it up again? It's just like... Yeah. Yeah, right? You was farting in bathtubs and laughing your ass off. Yeah. 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 But Simple Jack thought he was smart. Or rather, didn't think he was retarded, so he can't afford to play retarded being a smart actor. Playing a guy who ain't smart but thinks he is, that's tricky. Hmm. Tricky. It's like working with Mercury. It's high science, man. It's art form. Yeah. You an artist. Mm. That's what we do, right? Yeah. Yeah. Hats off for going there. Especially knowing how the academy is about that shit. Mm-mm. Wait. About what? You're serious? You don't know. <laughs> Everybody knows you never go full retard. What do you mean? Check it out. Dustin Hoffman... Ray Man, look retarded, act retarded, not retarded. Cat two picks, cheated cards, autistic, show, not retarded. You got Tom Hanks, Forrest Gump. Slow, yes, retarded, maybe, braces on his legs, but he charmed the pants off next to him and won a ping pong competition. That ain't retarded. He was a goddamn war hero. Right. You know any retarded war heroes? You went full retard, man. Never go full retard. You don't buy that? Yeah, Sean Penn, 2001, I am Sam. Remember? Went full retard. Went home empty-handed. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, beyond that, I think the performances are good. And, and Robin Williams is still doing a good job. It's just, I think it might be a little much. But, it, it, like you said, there's too much going on. Like, there's drama with every single one of these takes. Situations, and yeah. there, there's nobody who's just kind of having a normal life to kind of ground it <laughs> and, and bring some just reality to the situation and and again, just to ground Maybe it. Maybe it is so, the uh, Franklin Jello character who's the only one the that's closest, grounded. He's the closest to it and you don't get nearly enough of him for it to really mean anything. Yeah, I felt like he should have had more of a guiding hand in Tommy's life. And, and maybe it's just being realistic to a, 
a 13 year old boy and, you know, looking more to his friends or, or finding it cooler to take advice from this woman in this detention center on high and like this <laughs> tower. Uh, but yeah, if Tommy maybe had listened to him a little bit more, uh, he would not have felt the need to flee off to Paris or to, to, to get himself into fixes where he's, you know, calling his, uh, crush flat. And then that, <laughs> the, the breast size of a teenage girl, uh, I never thought that would be a plot point in a film that provides a wedge between Robin Williams and his childhood buddy. Like, I just, uh, so many strange that, details here. On that note, did, when you were watching the movie, you may know it now, but when you were watching it, did you realize that that girl was Robin Williams' real life daughter? Oh, no, I didn't know that at all. I did not know that. No. That's his real life daughter, which made that scene in hindsight, very uncomfortable. Thank you, Josh. Thank you for that small detail. So now whenever, and I'm sure this, I can't go a day without uh, this film coming up in casual conversation. I'll have that little factoid to throw at people to make them feel worse. (laughs) I'm just saying the, the whole, you know, making fun of her for being flat chested. And then, you know, of course it's played for jokes, but he yells the, I got a big penis and, and everything. It just, uh, Coming out of the mouth it, of her own father. Thanks. Yeah, yeah. Cool. It's very uncomfortable. Cool story, Josh. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I did. I, I, I have to admit, I didn't do a whole lot of research into this, but I'm glad our uh, research desk is on it, and Josh finds the most cringeworthy factoid to throw out, out to that, the audience. You know, you act like that's like some hidden minute detail. I mean, she's in the, the cast list. Me and Jared didn't I know just, it. Well... <laughs> I think that's that's oh, more of an a as, that's more of a testament to how little you all care about your show. <laughs> I've got a fact for you. I don't care who's in this movie. <laughs> I'm now I'm now looking at uh, Zelda Williams, who's uh, 28, and uh, says here, according to Wikipedia, that uh, her father said at one point she was named after Princess Zelda from the Legend of Zelda series. So. That's a little bit happier, happier trivia. It's happier. Yeah, that's, that's definitely about, a more that's a nerdier factoid than mine. I think I'm about to do some research and see if she's flat or not. Oh my goodness! All right, let's uh, move on to the Amityville <laughs> horror. <laughs> I feel like Jared probably has more in common with the what? Ryan Reynolds character uh, post possession. Yeah, I, I knew it. I knew it. I knew it was gonna be this. Something's gotta like, be done about these kids. <laughs> yeah, I knew it was gonna be this sort of like stepdad angle. Like that's Jared. Jared wants to kill all of them. <laughs> this movie was just a couple scenes, like just a couple modifications away from being a comedy about a stepdad who's like losing his mind. Uh, <laughs> like that shining trailer they did years ago where someone turned it into a comedy. Meet Jack Torrance. I'm outlining a new writing project. He's a writer looking for inspiration. Lots of ideas. No good ones. Meet Danny. Pretty, He's a kid looking for a dad. There's hardly anybody to play with around here. What's up, Doc? Jack just can't finish his book. I don't want to sound melodramatic, but there's no way to make it economically feasible. Here's to five miserable months. But now, sometimes, what we need the most is just around the corner. I'm your new foster father. I'd do anything. Climbing up on 
I didn't see that. That sounds... It felt at times very much like that. I, I know on our uh, Instagram account, which I've used for one evening only, because that's how I usually roll these social media things. I, I get into <laughs> it, and I'm like, all right, time put that away, and I'll check in two years later. I did uh, mention that I was now watching The Shining, because it felt like a very bad version of that. And I have to admit, I've never seen the original Amityville horror. Okay. So, I, I mean, I get the... I feel like it's probably been copied so many times that you've seen a version of it, even if it wasn't an official remake. And uh, the one thing I can say about this one was I admired how often they managed to get Ryan Reynolds completely shirtless. Like <laughs> I would say, I don't know, Jared, you've probably got the stats for this. Was it about 60, 70% of the time he's just walking around looking for, for ghosts, just basically shirtless with uh, I think some pajama pants on. That's his uh, attire of choice. Especially when chopping wood. Mm-hmm. You want to pay for the goods, you got to put them on display. I mean, that's uh, part of what comes with casting Ryan Reynolds, I suppose. Mm, okay. <laughs> I just, I'm sorry, Jade. I just left you hanging because I was like, oh, that's where the nasty Hellcat sound effect goes. <laughs> <laughs> you sort of wistfully just sort of <laughs> go off. <laughs> um, okay. Let me, uh, I guess I'll put the barometer out there. Uh, I watched House of D first because I had seen it before. And I, I think I told you all that I started watching it and it was not, I can't remember until what point I was like, wait, I've seen this before. Uh, I watched these almost back to back and I found Amityville Horror to be so dull that it had me wanting to go back to House of D and be like, <laughs> well, I'm probably just going to talk about it for 25 minutes and then five minutes of Amityville Horror. Uh, I thought this was just, bad i just thought this was just boring it was just dull at least with house of d it's kind of goofy overly earnest uh a little bit cringeworthy this barely got any reaction from me at all other than i felt like uh they attempted to make ron reynolds look deranged by doing something fucked up to his eyes but i felt like most people in the audience are still not gonna care if they're attracted to him "Eh, (laughs) he's still shirtless but his eyes are a little messed up whatever um, that was it. That's the only note I have for this. I I thought this was uh pretty much a big waste of time. Thank you for listening. <laughs> yeah, it's it, it follows all those normal horror movie uh, ghost movie tropes. There's some sort of secret about the house. Uh, they gradually start going a little bit crazier and crazier. Did you feel it was gradual? Time. I felt it was. It's pretty quick. I felt like, like the, maybe day one. Yeah, maybe the actions were gradual, but I felt like his general yeah. disposition and mood was pretty much as soon as he got the keys to the house. Uh, well, you know, is that the ghosts or the stepchildren? You really don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Do you think they should have leaned into that a little bit more? And yeah. Made, okay. Because I, I think, I mean, I think you're saying that kind of jokingly, but I think that's actually kind of the angle of the story is that the the possessed person, which is you know he himself is actually almost being tricked into thinking that they're possessed. You know, like he's seeing like demon faces pop up in them and, and everything. And even a that very line common that we, complaint. <laughs> yeah. That even that line we joked about earlier, that something's got to be done about these kids. I, I think in his twisted mind at that point, he's starting to think that there's something wrong with them. And it actually would have made a more perplexing story if they'd leaned, you know, deeper into that. I, I think it's one of those things that also felt, it felt dated in the sense that 
this was right before uh, like the uh, I don't know uh, the Conjuring or like Insidious. Those mm-hmm. type of things did something similar, but started to maybe push it a little bit further uh, into like uh, like with Insidious or uh, what was the Ethan Hawke one sinister they would sort of push yeah. it they would push the imagery a little bit further into the r territory and that th- and a little bit more fantastical too this this felt like it was right before that n- sort of new wave of doing the possession movies doing the haunted house stuff and it felt very stale and dry um <laughs> this is like for our little anniversaries it's funny you know we've done beetlejuice and the seventh sign which was 30 years ago and somehow felt like this pairing felt more dated than almost anything we've done where i'm like good <laughs> lord when did these movies come out yeah yeah the medieval horror is definitely guilty of playing on old tropes which i'll ask you guys this because i don't i guess being your resident research person um <laughs> uh i don't know if you all looked into it or not but you know a lot of these horror movies just for the sake of trying to add an extra layer of thrill you know they'll put that based on a true story uh, tag on on the beginning, but I always heard that there was supposed to be something to this, and I was like, "What are they saying this is actually based upon?" So I went and, and looked, and so the Lutz family, which is who this is about, this is the actual account they gave. Now, I mean, I think we can all agree they're probably full of crap, but the they they are claiming the story. You know, there was a book written based upon the account they gave of what you know what took place in that house. To a degree, anyways. I mean, I think these movies are still even modifying things based upon what was written in that book. But that said, do, do you think that's what it suffers from? Is maybe just because this is a story that was the, the book that it was based upon was I don't I don't remember when it had to have been at least the seventy. I guess was it the seventies that that was taking place in? I think it's the late seventies yeah. when the film late came 70s. out. So I guess yeah, somewhere in there. And you know, it's. You know, it's a remake of the the older movie. Um, is that what it's suffering from? Because there's not enough fantastical elements to it that they're trying to adhere to just people saying, I saw something weird, and that's the extent of it. Yeah, when the most fantastical stuff you have is, you know, a creepy girl just popping up here and there. Or, you know, I mean, there's a couple of interesting visuals, but there, there's nothing new or fresh about it. And going back to what you were saying about um, Insidious, like, or any of those movies of that realm, you know, they took it to some, you know, messed up places, you know, like in, in Insidious, they go into that, like, I don't know, that psychic world or whatever. And it, I mean, it's fantastical, but it's at least um, interesting. It's something new, you know, somebody's trying to be creative and, and create something kind of different to look at and, and to experience. And this just feels very much like it's just kind of reveling in that old school, like you said, haunted house possession type, not movies. And I, I don't know, I don't know the years that The Shining was written or uh, the year Kubrick's Shining came out as to compare to. Okay. So, I mean, maybe the original one came out before The Shining, but this feels more like it's definitely ripping from The Shining. You know, uh, that's it's just like a, a much weaker <laughs> version of, of that. So. You know what I find strange about us with this, and it seems like we're all on the same page, is that we're saying house of D is like two out there. Calm down, settle down, take strip away some of this. <laughs> and then Amityville horror with Ryan Reynolds wanting to kill drown, uh, beat to death with a hammer. His kids were like, you know, you could have done something more. We've kind of, this is old hat. We've seen this before. Boring. 
<laughs> House of D is the absurd one here that goes off in fantasy land. Yeah, well, I mean, horror movies are so bad about falling into those tropes as well. I mean, well, yeah, and you expect that from horror movies, and that's you can feel kind of shortchanged as far as <clears throat> we didn't get enough craziness with yeah. the Amityville horror. This version of Amityville horror opened to twenty three million and uh, sort of topped off worldwide at one hundred and eight. Uh, that sounds. It sounds like at the time, though, that audiences were kind of willing to go along with something that they had somewhat seen before. So I don't know how many more, and Jared, maybe you can speak to this as more of a horror guy, how many more of this ilk, this sort of old-fashioned sort of horror movie came out? Or if like, can you think of a movie where it's, it did take a turn, where it's like, okay, we're going to go in a different direction as far as the genre? Uh, probably not more so than what we've already said with stuff like Insidious and Sinister. Like, I think The Ring, maybe. Well, that was when did the ring come out? Was that a f- couple of years before? And it's it did the or something even like a paranormal activity, which I feel like does something very similar. Where you know, one of the, maybe Blair Witch Project, but that was even that was before mm-hmm. uh, uh, before Amityville Horror. It's uh, it's a genre that is short on new ideas. So when you actually do have one, <laughs> usually very well received, like uh, Josh said, like the ring. Um. Yeah, I think this movie was just trying to bank in on name value. Do you think that, I mean, the only thing I think it had going for it was Ryan Reynolds. As if you were a fan of his and maybe you wanted to see him at the time do something a little more serious, because he was usually just sort of the wise. right after Van Wilder, wasn't it? Van Wilder, even like a Blade Trendy, I think, came out before. He's still like oh, the yeah. wisecracking sidekick. And, you know, it's funny because... Um, here we are now like Deadpool two is coming up and he's just kind of, he's gone back to that. Like, Hey, that's what I'm good at. That's, that's what people like me as. Um, it's a little jarring. I, I think they were hoping that it would work out sort of in a cool way that you would see Ryan Reynolds being that dark, but mm-hmm. it made me feel like it doesn't work though. Does yeah. It? it made me feel like, uh, man, isn't this guy charming at all? Can we see him be likable? Because, uh, that's one of the things if we're going to keep going back to the shining that, people kind of kick around as the, you know, Jack Nicholson's character is not a nice guy before he goes there and just becomes even worse. Like he doesn't seem like a pleasant family man before. And clearly he's already had some instance of like domestic abuse, drinking problems. Uh, here, uh, I felt like maybe it's more effective if you see Ryan Reynolds as we know him as a likable screen presence and then see him change. But to what we're talking about, it feels like his mood is already kind of like <laughs> the most joy I think I remember him expressing is like, man, this house is uh, this is a lot of land. This is a pretty good deal. What happened? And then they're like, oh, entire family was murdered. And it's like at that point, he's like, <laughs> understandably, he's a little bit, you know, uh, off put mm. by this, but it doesn't make it as fun. Like it doesn't it's not a very good reason to go see a Ryan Reynolds movie if you aren't going to get to tap into that charm that he has. That was uh, a specific point I had thought watching it was there are there's two ways to play it. Like you said, you know, you you, you can have the the likable character who it's more it's sadder, it's more darker that you see them go down this dark path, or you have the type of character that you already see has problems, and as they go down that path, they actually just have that much more room to kind of be crazy, like Pappas and. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, that's a whole different type of terrifying, I guess, if you have that coming at you. But yeah, um, I mean, I, I look at just even the actors, Jack Nicholson versus Ryan Reynolds. 
I believe you're going to get more of a jerk <laughs> with Jack Nicholson. You walk up to him on any given day versus Ryan Reynolds. I think you'd get a lot of what you see, you know, nice guy, give you a chuckle or whatever. Um, that when you're watching a horror movie, you, you want your villain to be fun, a fun villain, like reveling in it. And that's what Jack Nicholson, uh, Jack Nicholson gave. And I think somebody like Ryan Reynolds, who is so quick witted and fun and, a smart Alec and stuff. Uh, a monster character is just not for him. I think it was just a bad idea. Jared, yes, I wanna, sir. I want to get to our uh, <laughs> sort of our final question here because I, I've already stated watching these two that I am firmly in the House of D camp, and this may be one of the very few films where I'm like, "Yep, House of D wins," and it it deserved far more attention than what the Amityville Horror got. <laughs> where do you come down on it though because as, as we've said on the podcast many times you are more of a horror guy so maybe i don't know you could go two ways either you're more forgiving or you're less forgiving because you're a fan of the genre i am less forgiving and i'm in the house of d camp amazingly um, oh my goodness amityville <laughs> Hort, well first cinema off. right here because <laughs> i know josh is gonna go house of d and we're gonna come out like <laughs> it's a clean sweep <laughs> Coming through. Can I have yours? Sure. Thanks. Hey, I'm really sorry about the, um, you know, the flat incident. Carpenter's dream. It happens. Don't worry about it. I, I am flat. No shit, you're luck. No, you're not at all. You know when you turn sideways? Like, you have a very, um... Like a very, very nice profile. No titty, no titty at all. I've seen lemons bigger. Got this. It's okay, I really don't care. Yeah, well, like, me neither. I have small balls, you know. Mm-hmm. But that's good, right? Um, I don't know. I have a huge penis. Well, for one, <laughs> I just don't I don't really care for the the ghost genre of horror movies unless it has, you know, a decent twist to it or some sort of unique aspect to the ghost story, you know, like as Josh said, The Ring, that's a pretty unique take on a ghost story, but with this it's just more haunted house nonsense and even then it's not even really that scary. You see where the bad guy's coming from a million miles away, and it's just it's just not good, in my opinion. Yeah, Mike. I mean, take us home, much, Pappas. Take us home. Pretty <laughs> much had my number, and, and really, sadly, I can't even be more cynical because I think, as much as I had read like some of the reviews of House of D and, and hearing you guys talk about it, I'm thinking everybody hated it a lot more than I did. Like, I don't walk away from it thinking it's a, a very good movie. And it definitely, you know, has its issues. But there's a lot of things I still kind of, you know, I was okay with. I, I enjoyed and didn't feel uh, like you wasted I, your time watching it. Yeah, I, I didn't just downright hate it. And, and, and maybe there's even a little pinch of it was, you know, there was a little bit of melancholy there. Watching Anton Yelchin and Robin Williams yeah, starring in totally. this and, and being like, uh, oh, man, like I miss those guys. You know, like there's two good performers, two great performers. And uh uh, I, I think maybe that melancholy maybe 
it might even make me a little bit more forgiving. I don't know. But yeah, I, I, I did not downright hate that movie. So it, it definitely wins between the two for me. I, I mean, think, I can't I hate more it. People should see it. Because uh, it wasn't streaming anywhere, so I spent six bucks on it to own it on iTunes. <laughs> so I now have it. You will love it forever. Protect your forever. <laughs> well, okay, to, to what you're saying, Josh, uh, here's just according to Wikipedia the uh, the quick <laughs> reasoning for the 10% score for House of D on Rotten Tomatoes. Uh, consensus calls it a, quote, sincere but inept coming-of-age story. And I, I actually yeah. I agree with that, but I think I'm just going to lean with something that is sincere. That is, uh, you know, I don't feel like it's cynical what they're making. And you can kind of poke fun at David Duchovny for aspirations to think he was going to take film festivals by storm, and this was going to be like a big <laughs> Oscar winner. But oh boy, I think I, I do side with that. Even even if he, his taste is not, you know, and maybe his craftsmanship is just not there. I don't feel like there was any intention whatsoever like that with Amityville Horror. I think they were just like, well, that's a name people recognize. Ryan Reynolds mm-hmm. is up and coming star. Let's just do what they did before, just with maybe higher production values. And there, I mean, I think we've even having this podcast, we've kind of struggled to been like, we've kind of talked about the genre. We've talked about The Shining a lot because it's far more interesting. I don't know if you can have more than a five minute conversation about just this movie, just what happens in this movie without referring back to other movies that did it better. Yeah. House of D yeah. though. Solely mm-hmm. original. It's its own. It thing. is. It is its own creature. <laughs> and I think it's, I think it's kind of sad that, uh, this is on, this is David Duchovny's only feature length, uh, uh, directing gig. Uh, it sounds like maybe he he took the the punishment <laughs> of the criticism pretty hard maybe and said well maybe that's not for me because I think there's enough good here to maybe warrant that uh, with some more effort and some more tries that maybe he could you know maybe he could make something that would be more of a hit uh, more more of a an accomplishment than this but Let me I, mention- I, I don't think this this is so bad that he should have just hung up his hat and never tried again I well, guess is what I mean. Uh- <laughs> John Krasinski, uh, right now as we're recording this, uh, Quiet Place is a huge success financially and critically. Yeah, he made two films before. Uh, one was Brief Interviews with Hideous Men, which nobody saw, and it got maybe okay reviews. And then The Hollers, which uh, nobody saw, and it also got lukewarm reviews. And those two. Wait a minute, he, you say he made? He, he directed all those? He directed those two films, yeah. And, and this, I, did, I didn't realize these were um, movies he directed. Mm-hmm. That's and interesting. And so, okay. like, I think The Hollers, I have not seen it. My, my wife watched it, and she liked it. Uh, but I, I remember that getting kind of accused of being a little too sentimental. You know, m- maybe Krasinski's sensibilities just sort of lean that way. And then mm-hmm. he switches gears. I don't want to say entirely, but he makes a horror movie in A Quiet Place. And he grafts those sensibilities onto a horror movie. And it works like that combination, that sentimentality with a monster movie is good. So, you know, David Duchovny's, I think you could say with House of Deeds, it is probably overly sentimental, right? being a coming of mm-hmm. age story, being about, um, you know, your best friend when you're young, your mom when you were young, and then starting your own family. Uh, so to your point, yeah, maybe if he had just said, hey, I'm going to take those sensibilities and put it on a sci-fi movie because everybody knows me from X-Files, uh, you would have right, had a good right. mashup. And, but I'm sure he's fine. He's David Duchovny. He's rich. Tansel. Oh yeah, he's, he's good. He seems he's, to be doing okay. <laughs> he's from He'll what I know, right. he's having a lot of world. sex still. He's still a sex addict, so he's living the dream, baby. He's he's good. <laughs> uh, let's uh, wrap it up with our own personal sex addict, Jared Nasty Hellcat. Yeah, final thoughts? Yeah. I just I've I've had to mute myself over here from uh, thinking about David Duchovny sitting in a, a film festival audience <laughs> and then 
Robin Williams' face comes on screen with that those teeth, and I just imagine like him putting his hat over his mouth, like, "Oh, oh no, oh no, they don't like this. Oh, this isn't good. This played a lot better." <laughs> that makes me cringe in so many ways. You what know, if it was Robin Williams who convinced him to use the teeth, and he was because you have to trust in Robin Williams uh, at that point <laughs> as a screen performer, and he knows what's funny. I'll go with it. You know, somewhere there was Frank Langella who was just like, uh, maybe we should tone this down a bit. And it's like, shut up. I'm Fox Mulder. Wait, <laughs> and you said you read that somewhere? No, I'm just imagining just oh, oh. Mulder and fucking Mork <laughs> just, oh. just putting Frank Langella in his place. Oh, Mork. Oh, boy. Oh, all right. That's a good so uh, if you would like to follow our imaginings of how House of D went down, follow us on social media where I will task Jared with just writing up obscure <laughs> meetings without any context on Twitter. And uh, I will find some pictures. Well, I won't find them, but I'm sure Jared will send them to me privately. And then I will post them on our Instagram account. Uh, extreme <laughs> close-ups of Robin Williams from House of D coming to your Instagram feed soon if you follow at Sober Cinema. <laughs> I heard you chuckling multiple times. I'm like, all right, I want to like, you know, not retort, but I want to continue Josh's semi-serious, like, you know, hey, maybe if you just try it again. And there's Jared over there. (laughs) I'm like, well, I was like, I better get this out before Jared comes in to wrap up the show. (laughs) You hear him sitting in the in the audience just watching that. I'm thirsty. I want a beer. What about you? You want a beer? Just a drink, a martini, shaken, not stirred.